It's good to be here with y'all today. Um, to be back in church, uh, in this church on this Sunday, um, as many of you know, uh, Mary was here by herself last week doing services because the rest of the clergy and our lay delegates were at convention, diocesan convention, in Cody. Um, and there were some good things about convention in Cody, and it sure is good to be home. Uh, this is, you know, the whenever I travel to a diocesan, a church event in the state of Wyoming, I'm always reminded about how much I love this state. It is huge. It is the the ecology and the landscape is so varied um, and and so beautiful. So whenever we have a, a statewide a diocesan event, um, I get to travel to these other towns in Wyoming. I get to get out of this Jackson Hole bubble at least twice a year and um, get out into other places, perhaps Rock Springs or Buffalo, uh, Cody this time. We're blessed to go to Cody. And what I always try to do um, when we have one of these events somewhere else in the state, I try to take a day off ahead of time or perhaps after the event and go out and just kind of explore uh, either the, the country in between or the country around that town or city. You know, if, if we go to Rock Springs, I might get to go down into the Red Desert for a day or two on my way down. Um, if we go to Laramie or Cheyenne, the Snowy Range and Vitavu State Park are right outside of there. Um, Buffalo, we've got the Bighorns. Pinedale, we've got the Wind River Range. Um, and it, it, you, you might sense that what I, I do often is I try to get out into the mountains or into the desert, um, and usually by myself, and, and just commune with nature is one way of putting it. Another way of putting it is to read the book of creation. It's as valid a scripture as the Bible is. To me, I, I find God, I find connection. I lose this small sense of self that I carry around with me that I'm sort of plagued by most of the time. And, and, and I, I find peace and rejuvenation in the wild, in these wild places. And as a... So this trip, this trip, uh, we went to Cody, and I left a day or two ahead of time, and I decided to explore a place that I'd never been before, which is that uh, Chief Joseph Scenic Highway north of Cody. Um, it cuts off of uh, the main highway, and it goes up over a pass and down into uh, the... Clark's Fork of the Yellowstone River, and then it climbs back up and intersects with that highway that goes between Cook City and uh, Red Lodge over the Beartooth Pass. Just to kind of give you an idea of where, where I was, I was in the central Absorca Range just east of Yellowstone Park. And 
it is stunning up there. Um, for those of you who haven't been there, you should definitely go. It's, it's worth the drive. You get up to uh, the top of that pass and it's, it's just like rivers and mountains without end, one, on, one behind the other into infinity. So I left out of Cody early in the morning to drive up there, out of the Bighorn Basin, climbed up towards the pass, climbed, drove up towards the pass. And it was the most interesting thing because halfway up the mountain there was a band of clouds that I drove into. And you couldn't see in front of the front of the hood of the car. It was just that thick. And I was thinking, well, you know, gosh, maybe this isn't the right direction for me to go today because if I can't see anything, I don't know if I want to, uh, maybe I should turn around and go back down into the basin. But I persisted. I kept going on up to the top. And sure enough, at the top, clouds parted, blue skies, rivers and mountains without end, uh, breathtaking place. And as in most of the really breathtaking places in the state of Wyoming, especially at the top of a pass, there was a pullout and there were in informational signs and maps and narratives around the perimeter of the parking space. So I parked and I got out and I started reading the information that was there. This is some of what I read. <clears throat> the, this one was entitled One Last Mountain. The ridge you are standing on was the last significant barrier for more than 600 Nez Pierce Indians and their 2,000 horses as they fled the pursuing cavalry. After the Battle of the Big Hole a month earlier, they knew the army did not intend to leave any survivors. This became a flight for their lives. Now on the run for more than 60 days, they had hoped that by crossing this pass and reaching the plains, they could join their old allies, the Crows, or hasten to join Sitting Bull in Canada. They began climbing to this point from the valley below. By this time, all were exhausted and heartbroken from the long journey and aiding their sick and wounded. But they also knew that winter was closing in. If they could make it over this mountain fast enough, they just might escape the army and regain their freedom. Accounts tell us that the Nez Pierce left a wounded warrior on this mountain. He was discovered and killed by the army scouts. This site became known as Dead Indian Pass. The next one that I read was entitled Diversion and Escape. September 1877, the Nez Pierce knew that General Howard was at least a day behind them and Colonel Sturgis had moved his forces to the stinking water which is the Shoshone River. The Nez Pierce, led by Lean Elk and Joseph, sensed an opportunity to escape. In an opening about two miles southeast of here, they milled their horses around in every direction to leave a confusion of tracks. They then backtracked north along the steep ridge and down a rough canyon until they reached the Clark's Fork of the Yellowstone River. The ploy worked. 
When General Howard arrived, his, his scouts were confused about which way the main body of the Nez Perce had gone. The Nez Perce had accomplished the unbelievable and escaped. But they hadn't really escaped. They were then chased north through central Montana um, all the way up to about within 40 miles of the Canadian border where they would have been safe from the U.S. Cavalry on the other side of the border. Um, they got to that spot 40 miles south of the border. Some of them did get across and go join up with Sitting Bull in Canada. The rest of them were gathered up and they surrendered there. That's where Chief Joseph's famous I will fight no more forever speech was said. They were gathered up there. They were marched down to Fort Leavenworth in Kansas. And then from there, they were sent to the Indian Territories, um, which is comprised most of what is Oklahoma today, and put on the reservation there. So uh, yeah, they had escaped for the day. Uh, in some ways, they had never escaped. So, So I sat there on that pass for a little while, and then I drove down into the canyon of the Clark's Fork, down to Dead Indian Campground, down to Dead Indian Creek, where I hiked the Dead Indian Trail. And it was one of the most stunning and beautiful places that I had ever been. It was that fall afternoon that just frankly knocks your socks off gold aspen, crystal blue sky, beautiful. And usually I can immerse myself in, in a place like that. I can lose myself in a place like that, in the wonder of God's creation. Well, that Friday, I lost myself, but it was in the history of that place. It was both. It was in the beauty and it was in the horror of the history of what had happened in that valley that day. The terrible journey that the Nez Pierce had made through what looked to me like paradise. I wish I knew that dead Indian's name. I wish I knew the name that he had carried with him from Oregon to that spot. I know the name of the tribe, and it's not Nez Pierce, it's the Nimetu. Nez Pierce is a name that some Canadian trapper gave them. The name that they carried with them to that spot was Nimetu. And I wish that creek was named after that dead Indian, called by his name. And I wish that that trail, rather than the St. Joseph, or Chief Joseph Scenic Byway, were called the Nimetu Flight for Their Lives Highway. But it's not. I wished many things that day, many things that can't be changed, because the past, as we know, is irrevocable. 
The past is what happened in the past. And I prayed all day long that day. I prayed prayers of gratitude for the beauty of the created world that I was privileged to be in then and there that day. I prayed prayers of sorrow for all of the suffering that had taken place in that sacred land. I prayed prayers of sorrow for the indigenous people who were exterminated and rounded up and put onto reservations and then abandoned. And I asked for forgiveness for the blindness of our ways. And then I realized that that wasn't enough. This gospel reading had been kind of percolating in my mind all day that day too. This gospel reading about persistence in the pursuit of justice. Of the widow, grant me justice, grant me justice, grant me justice. And finally, apparently after pestering the judge long enough, the judge granted her justice. So I prayed for justice that day. And I don't even know for sure what justice looks like in this situation. It's very, very complicated. I don't have an easy answer for what justice is, but I have a strong sense that justice has not been served. Not for the indigenous people of this country, not for the black people of this country, not for all those widows, those outcasts, those who are looked down upon. Then I drove back up out of the valley and I went into convention in Cody. Cody, the home of the Buffalo Bill and the Wild West show. Cody, a place with some problematic history of its own. Just as Jackson has a problematic history of his own, I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody here, except for maybe me, us. But anyway, at convention, we got to hear a really good speaker named John Philip Newell, who is a Celtic a mystic, modern-day Celtic mystic. Um, beautiful guy with a, with a beautiful message about listening for the heartbeat of God. Listening for, and you know where we hear that heartbeat first? It's when we hear our own heartbeat. And the other place where we hear that heartbeat is when we lean our head upon the shoulder of someone we love and we hear their heartbeat. And John Philip Newell's premise is that that heartbeat of God is in all of creation. And if we listen, we can hear it. And that, that lines up very well with what we believe and promote and talk about here at St. John's, which is our own belovedness. That we are all children of God, all beloved of God. And I think I'd like to extend that out past just we in this church today 
or just we in this bubble that is Jackson Hole, outward a lot further than that, out into the culture at large. So there was kind of a disconnect for me, listening to John Philip Newell about, about the beauty and the light and the love of God that is in all of us, and this pretty terrible history that we were really burdened with. It made me wonder, how could an entire European culture miss seeing the light of God in virtually every indigenous culture of people that they encountered? How could that blind them and allow them to perpetrate the atrocities that were perpetrated? In the name of progress, often, and too often in the name of Christ. Like I said, I don't know for sure what justice looks like in this situation, the situation that we find ourselves in, 2022, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I don't know that it's really up to us to determine what that justice might look like. I think what's really important for us to do is to listen to the voices who are crying out for justice. They're crying out loud and clear if we listen for them. Sometimes they are crying out in hurt and anger, and that makes it harder to hear, but it doesn't make it any less important for us to hear the voices that are demanding justice. Our belovedness, the light that is in within every one of us and within every being in creation, the heartbeat of God, we can't just keep it. We can't just keep it inside of us. We have to extend it. And we can. Amen.